to Building Stronger Creatives, a fitness podcast for musicians, artists, nerds, and former misfits. I'm a former out-of-shape professional musician turned personal trainer and nutrition coach to hundreds of clients, and I'll give you no-nonsense information about what it really takes to get and stay fit within the context of a creative life. Here, you'll find practical advice on strength and endurance training, sane and simple nutrition, habit building, and time management tools to help you make lifestyle changes that actually stick. Most fitness coaches have no clue what it really means to be a creative, whether you're a professional or a passionate hobbyist. I'm different. I've been where you are, and I share your values. Let me show you how you can use the gym to build a kick-ass creative life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Building Stronger Creatives. I'm your host, Caroline Juster, and today we have a guest on the podcast. Ashley Pardo is a nutrition coach, also a business coach. That's how I first met Ashley. Uh, she was my business coach for a while. We're not necessarily going to talk about business today, but I, I hired her because I, I found her work through some other connections of mine and the things that she had to say really resonated with me. I think we have a lot of similarities in our stories, and I think that Ashley is really smart in the way that she thinks about some of the big issues with sensitive people, which we're definitely going to talk about today, is very different than a lot of the messaging that's out there. And from my own experience and from my experience working with sensitive, creative people, I just think that the message of her coaching is a lot more helpful for people like us than most of the information out there. So I'm really excited for Ashley to share a little bit about herself and we're gonna really get into uh, food, discipline, a whole bunch of different things today. So Ashley, if you don't mind telling the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Well, thank you for that intro. And I'm so happy to be connected with you today. And in general, um, I am, like Caroline said, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a business coach. I also used to be a private chef. So I have kind of, um, you know, an extensive background with food and nutrition and really the stuff that I share, like Caroline said, is a little bit different than what's out there in terms of nutrition and the messaging around nutrition, specifically for this population of sensitive people, creative people, which is what I am as well. I, I try to share very genuinely and very, um, very authentically around those things. And I think that food and movement can be a vehicle to make us better. Uh, and, you know, everything that I share comes from like my own experience and like what actually works for me. And I think that a lot of the messaging out there is very soft, which I understand, of course, like we should be compassionate with ourselves, but at the same time, I don't think that it's helpful all the time to be soft with yourself. And I think that we can build a lot of resiliency, a lot of capacity by sort of taking a different perspective, which I'm sure we'll dive into a ton. Yes. So as you mentioned, everything that you coach, and this is similar to me, and most of the things, if not everything that I coach comes from my own lessons learned, my own experience. So I know you've had quite a long journey of personal transformation, but maybe if you could give us a short version of where you were, gosh, however many years ago it was when you really first started to make changes and some of the things that were most helpful to you to get you where you are today. Gosh, um, I, I've struggled with food since I was six. So like my, and I feel like that's very common. Um, I had common weight struggles, like from the time that I was literally six years old, I just remember like 
my vivid memories like binging at buffets, uh, like going to buffet and being like, oh, there was a plethora of food. My, I grew up in a house that was like very healthy, didn't have a lot of processed foods. I definitely had a lot of like restriction and fear around them. And um, whenever I would be encountered with delicious food, hyperpalatable food, waffle, whatever it is, cookies, brownies, I would binge and go overboard. And I developed eating disorders from a young age because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm restricted. Now I overconsumed. Now I have to do something to like get rid of it because I'm so uncomfortable. So like, I didn't know about eating disorders, but I was like, this is just like the natural thing that I'm doing. So I think in general, whenever we are going through something, it's always important to be like, there's a reason why, like, this is science. This is from mental and physical perspective. Like, I think there can be a lot of shame that goes around with food issues, but they always develop because of something, you know, whether it is, you know, a habit, whether it is like a physiological response, like mine was, or in your upbringing, culture, whatever it is. So I, because of that, I struggled with food and I was very overweight at one point. And, um, I also really liked cooking. So, and I've always loved food a lot to this day. Obviously I really love food. I encourage people to eat what they want, to not be restricted, to really find joy in their food every day, because that's, what's going to keep you sustainable and adherent and compliant. But it wasn't until I started like I did Weight Watchers, which I think is everybody's story. I Before that, I also did like a bunch of stupid stuff, like the military diet, cabbage soup, grapefruits, like all of the <laughs> stuff that you can imagine I did. South Beach, Atkins. But it wasn't until I found Weight Watchers that, which again, I think is every woman's. Did you do Weight Watchers ever? I did not do Weight Watchers, but my mom was always on a bunch of diets. And so the Atkins, like all that stuff was in the house. So I was very familiar with that world for sure. Yeah, the Slim Fast bars, stuff like that. The shakes. (laughs) Yes, Uh, we've all been there. So I, once I did Weight Watchers, I did it in college. And that really sort of made me realize that you could eat whatever you wanted you could just have the portions be aligned to your goals and that could work for you. Uh, The problem with that is that it's too little points in general. So like you, you will lose weight because we know that weight loss comes from, you know, eating less calories that you burn a calorie deficit. Yes. Everybody says it, but it's true. And so I remember like just being able to have like a pita pizza and like a little ginger salad and like a chocolate and like a nice drink. And I was happy and sustainable in that. So, and I started feeling better. I started like having more energy. I started like feeling better in my body. I also like, wasn't drinking as much. This was in college too. So like I reached my heaviest point in college from drinking a ton, from eating a ton. Also like coming from that household where I wasn't really in charge of what I could eat. I felt very restricted to now eating whatever I wanted right? At college, I gained 40 pounds in one summer at one point. And that's a lot. Like that's a lot of weight for three months. Like think of how much you have to eat. And that was just, again, my physiological and um, psychological response to being restricted my whole life to now being like, okay, I have freedom. I can, you know, eat whatever I can do, whatever. And what I started realizing is that it's like not that fun to do that after a while. And I ended up gaining the 40 pounds. And that's when I sort of went on this journey. And for the next, I'd say eight years or so, I yo-yoed. I would lose all the weight with Weight Watchers. 
gain it all back once I started eating normally again and like started living my life. And it wasn't until I was like 26, I had gone to cooking school. I got a job in HR, hated it, decided to go back to cooking school because I always loved cooking. And I did love feeling healthier and feeling better. And I wanted to teach people how to do that. Didn't want to have restaurants. I had no idea what I would do. So I went to cooking school. And once I went and moved to Boston, I went to BU. I found Janine Roth's work. I talk about her all the time as somebody who's like a mentor of mine. She has no idea who I am at this point, but um, reading her work really opened my eyes because I started realizing that my food issues weren't about food. They were about deep-seated beliefs. They were about um, the way that I treated myself, the way that I talked to myself, my own standards and what I allowed for myself, um, discipline, putting up with difficulty, stuff like that. And once I started realizing that, I remember the day that it happened, I went to the bodega that was downstairs in my apartment in Boston. And I got a piece of pizza and a pint of Ben and Jerry's. And I like ate what I wanted from it. And I left some. And I was like, wow, this experience of allowance and this experience of like truly having full permission, unconditional permission to eat makes you feel like you can actually make autonomous choice because if you're restricted you're constantly feeling like you're fearful and we make choices out of that fear out of desperation out of like diet's going to start tomorrow so once i had that experience i was like oh my god but i left stuff in the pint of ice cream and i didn't even eat the whole pizza these are like my scary foods but Janine really taught me to like stay with my body, to notice what my body felt like, to really get in touch and to know that like once you get full, there's no value that food brings. And that was my whole life. Like fullness was like, it's like Louis C.K. I know he was canceled, but like he has that quote that's like, I don't stop eating when I'm full. I stop eating when I hate myself that's what it is. Right. So like, that's, that was my whole life. And I started realizing like, oh, I can stop now. I can really like pay attention to how things feel and eat as much as I want of them. And I can feel at peace. So I started really experiencing that. And from there, I went to cooking school and I like maintained my weight during cooking school. And we were like having like everything, like it's cooking school. Right. So that experience really taught me to like tune in and tap in. I was intuitively eating, but then I also like wasn't actually eating nutritionally for my goals. I was just like skinny, right? I wasn't actually fueling myself properly. So after that, I ended up going to, I moved to Italy. I was on farms. I wanted to learn about the organic movement. I came home to Miami, started a private chef business. And from there started doing talks on the side around nutrition and, and weight loss and mostly food mindset, which is really my passion. And then I ended up started lifting weights, found macros. And now I sort of took all of that. And I also became certified in nutrition. I took all of that and really developed my, you know, I have a nutrition framework that I use called intuitive macros. And I developed that that takes all the food psychology plus the principles of nutrition so you can actually get results into something that people can actually do and implement that will give them results. So like I'm very much about honesty when it comes to food and I have endless compassion for 
those of us who are emotional eaters and struggle with food, because I know how hard it is. Like I, I was there for most of my life and I know how hard it is to break, but I know you can break it. And that's really my passion is like helping people move through that and then using food, you know, something that was so hard and that we hated so much as the vehicle for growth. And then a bunch of other stuff ends up happening in your life, right? When you expose yourself to those levels of growth, you start living in a certain way. Yeah. So who I am now is very different to who I was when I was like 21. It was truly a 180. I definitely want to talk about intuitive macros, intuitive eating, uh, emotional eating. I just want to reflect on some of what you said that's so powerful first. So again, things that were similar with me. So developing eating habits based on things that happened in childhood or the way you were raised. A lot of times I feel like people think, okay, I just need to have a lot of discipline. I just need to have a lot of food rules and I need to like eliminate sugar, eliminate grains, whatever. And then I'll be able to fix my food problems. But if you're someone who struggled with these emotional eating and especially binge eating or things that start to get into the disordered eating or eating disordered realm, it's absolutely not a food issue. It's not something that's going to be fixed with just going on a diet. And this was a lesson that I learned. I went to therapy and my therapist, actually, I discovered Janine Roth too, because my therapist was like, you should read Janine Roth. And I was like, wow, this is really great. She also encouraged me to go to not Overeaters Anonymous, which I know is kind of problematic, but a different 12-step group, which is Eating Disorders Anonymous, which was a lot more like, yes, it was a 12-step framework, but it wasn't like, you can't have sugar, you can only eat three times a day. It was a lot more flexible. And there were people in the group that weren't just binge eaters, but also people that had anorexia and bulimia and like other things. And Going to that group and talking a lot about how it's, you know, eating disorders are about feelings, not food. That's what they always used to sh say was really eye opening for me. And that showed me like, because at the time, too, when I was going through my struggles, like I was already a fitness coach. Like I knew a lot about nutrition and I had had successful weight loss and I had coached other people. And yet I was still struggling and that going to those meetings and going to therapy and reading Janine Roth and all of that just showed me that I was focusing my efforts in the wrong place by trying to diet and willpower myself into this stuff and that I needed to take a look at some of the deeper issues. So it's really not cool that like you went through it too, but it's, you know, it's cool to see that similar approaches have helped different people. And hopefully if someone's listening to this and they're struggling, maybe it gives them permission to explore some of these other avenues, like dealing with your emotions, um, doing some of the nervous system and somatic work and things that I know you do with your clients. I also love the end result of your coaching, which is like a combination of, like you said, good nutrition principles. I know that building muscle and having energy to exercise is very important to you as well, combined with like some elements of intuitive eating. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Like, can you define maybe what you think of how I mean, rephrase this, how would you define what intuitive eating kind of is presented as on social media and tell me why you think that that doesn't work for a lot of people like why is it problematic for some people this is so much right there's so many things and and i think that <laughs> there first the first thing i'll say is that if we just like define intuitive eating for what it is it was developed by evelyn triboli and i can't remember the other woman but if you google it you will find her um You'll find the books, workbooks, but it's essentially eating according to your body's cues. So your hunger cues, your fullness cues, uh, a lot of people take that and turn it into like a hunger and fullness diet, which is what I did at the beginning in terms of like, I will only eat when I'm hungry. I will only stop when I'm full. The problem is that that can work for a lot of people. 
I do think that you have to have not have had a complicated relationship with food, not have emotional ties to food. I think you have to be genetically gifted in order to, and I'm not genetically gifted. Like I gain weight easily. I'm predisposed to holding on to fat. Like I have to work. It takes effort for me to like maintain my, it feels pretty effortless at this point, but it does take effort. Um, I like the effort though. So I think you have to be like genetically gifted in some way. If you like, just think of who promotes intuitive eating as a framework, it is usually thin women who have fast metabolisms. Yeah. And what happens is that, and like, that's great for them. You know what I mean? But what ends up happening is that people try that. Oh, I'm going to listen to my body. First of all, what does that even mean? Right. That's you got to break that down into like five or six pillars <laughs> to really start to be able to discern. And that's a skill. So I think that telling somebody that can mean so many things. Well, then my body's telling me to eat donuts in the morning and now I'm still hungry. So now I'm going to eat a zillion donuts and then I'm going to feel like shit. Like when I first started, like after I had my intuitive eating time in, in grad school, I was not eating enough at all. I was like, just kind of like inadvertently restricting myself, not realizing it, still feeling satisfied, like food wise, but not eating enough for sure. And then afterwards I did CrossFit. I did paleo a little bit. And then I did intuitive eating. Cause I was like, F all these food rolls. I can't, I ended up gaining like 20 pounds, like shortly after I got back from um, like when I started my chef business, like 12 years ago, um, you know, so that was me listening to my body. I gained a ton of weight. And like you eat, if you eat a lot of fat, if you eat a lot of hyperpalatable foods, it's going to be really tough. Also people who have gone, Jessica Flanagan is my biggest resource for what I'm about to say, who's at the loving diet on Instagram. She's great. You guys should all follow. Yes. Her she's awesome. Um, and she's a big inspiration to me and she's inspired a lot of my work, um, lately around intuitive eating and, and I did a podcast with her on my podcast and she talks about how if you've gone through trauma or any sort of like adverse childhood experience and you have an, a high ACE score, which is adverse childhood experience, uh, it's hard to have interoceptive awareness, which is the ability for you to discern what you are feeling. So this is why when you tell somebody, oh, it's so easy, just listen to your body. Many people, me included, have to potentially pay closer attention at the beginning and have it not feel so intuitive in order to get to that place. Like you have to regulate your body. You have to create the skills and you might have to like combine stuff that you don't necessarily want to do with your food preferences and your desires and things that will help you adhere to your plan. But I think that you have to go through that period in the beginning, whether it's tracking food, whether it's you have to self-monitor in some way or whether it's like, um, you know, trying to have like a habit based plate is what I call it, like a protein, a fat, a carb. The thing is that the more refined, the more um, specific your goal, the more specific your plan needs to be. So like when people are just like, oh, you listen to your body and you lose weight, that's not going to happen for most people. It's definitely not going to happen if you're like me and everybody out there who potentially has what I call a sensitive body and body is not responsive because it could be you're eating at 300 extra calories, you don't know. So I think that intuitive eating comes from a period of paying closer attention, developing the skills, being able to discern, understanding portion size and energy and your goals 
and then moving intuitively. But I just need to say that like, it's okay if you don't have that skill initially. I don't think most people do. I think it's uh, portrayed and marketed as something that's very easy and very, like everybody should be able to do it. We're humans, but we also aren't the humans from like whenever ago that didn't have a grocery store with a ton of processed food and these foods are not natural. So there's a lot more in there in terms of like how to regulate that, how to feel your emotions, but it's okay if intuitive eating didn't work for you and you have to work towards it. I I think that if you're not, unless you're genetically gifted and you have a really fast metabolism or you spent a time tracking and you learn that already and you know portion size and all of that, those are the sort of like the prerequisites I would say for intuitive eating. Yeah, I agree. And that was my experience as well, because especially with my particular flavor of eating disorder, I would, I was always like eating not out of hunger and I was eating like until I literally was like sick and couldn't eat anymore, you know? So I'm just like completely bulldozing through any type of natural hunger and fullness satiety signals. And also not even eating, thinking, which I'm going to ask you about in a second, but like thinking consciously, like, what do I actually want to eat? Like, what makes me feel good? It was like, how can I just create this like mental disconnected, disassociative state? So it was like, it didn't even matter. So, you know, that's maybe a little extreme for people. But I think that, like you said, a lot of the messaging around intuitive eating is like, kind of misleading. Like, oh, this is what we all should be able to do. It's so natural. But that doesn't take into account people's past experiences, a lifetime of not listening to these signals. And also, like you said, the food environment itself is so different because if you're eating a lot of highly processed foods, like those foods are literally created to be difficult to stop eating. And so they're going yes. to mess with those signals. So it does take practice for, I would say most people, especially a lot of people that have struggled with their weight or struggled with food to build those kind of skills. So for your intuitive macros system, what parts of intuitive eating have you taken and do you work with your clients to build? That's such a great question. And there's three, let's see if I can remember them because I don't have three in them, three like in my like deck or presentation or whatever is like part of the framework. The first thing is the hunger and fullness cues and really beginning to notice like which foods actually keep me full, which foods make me hungrier, which foods, uh, which food combinations are like most advantageous towards me feeling full and satiated. Um, another thing is... And also the fullness, right? Because you, like you said, like for many of us that are emotional eaters, you do it to dissociate and it doesn't matter what the food is. It could be pineapple. It could be, <laughs> yeah, it could be healthy cake. foods for sure. It could be <laughs> almond butter. Like it could be whatever, you know? So that's another skill and another thing. Um, but the fullness is also a thing too, in terms of like, can I stop my meal and like still feel okay? And like be able to be like to go on a uh, like a short walk or something after I'm done and not feel like I am glued to my bed or my couch or whatever it is. Um, so hunger and fullness. Another one is preference. You know, what do you actually like? What do you we all have foods that are non-negotiables for us, right? And you spoke a little bit about OA and many people, I know a couple people personally who use OA as a system um and feel better like truly not having any sugar or flour, that would never work for me. So I honor that in terms of like that strictness and that rigidity. And I did go to an OA meeting 
when I was in grad school before I found Janine because I was like, something has to change. Like I'm a sugar addict, I'm a food addict. Like we've all told ourselves those stories. I'm not, I don't think most people are, honestly. I don't want to invalidate anyone if if that's where they are right now or if that's what they think. But I think that the rigidity causes a lot of fear and obsession. And when I went to my OA meeting, everybody was obsessed. They were just obsessed with not eating the food rather than being obsessed with being in the cycle of overconsumption. So I do think that your food preferences are uh, essential because that's what you're going to adhere to. Like adherence is the number one thing. So like you have to honor your culture. You have to honor like just the things that you like, you know? So what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that like you have to have? Like, I love chocolate. Um, not as much anymore. Um, I love toast. I love, um, donuts. I love pastries. I literally just had a cupcake, like 20 minutes or 45 minutes ago. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, I, so I eat these things is very peaceful, but you really have to discern. I'm also Latin. So like, I want a Latin plate with like rice and beans and maduros and, you know, uh, a protein, whatever it is. So like preference is a really big thing too. And then the last thing that I would say in terms of like, you know, being intuitive is to be able to discern what your goals are and like what you need for that moment. Each goal is going to require a different approach, but you have to really like, be intuitive around what is it that I really need? What am I eating for? It is very different to just like eat for health versus eating for something specific like muscle gain, fat loss, even maintenance, right? You might be, might go along the spectrum of like being a little loose, being a little tighter, depending on what your goals are. Like if your goal is fat loss, you do, it would be most, you know, best for you if you did something that got you there quickly. Not saying that the quick fat loss, but being efficient towards taking actions that get you closer to your goal every day rather than intuitive eating or something a little bit more loose that feels loosey-goosey, like I'm throwing spaghetti on the wall. I kind of hope that this works. So those are really the intuitive factors that I think are essential for your food plan and and ultimate goal for me with the people I work with is to like have it last forever to like create your own internal sense of autonomy. Yeah, I love all of that. And a lot of it resonates with my experience too. For me, one of the things that really helped me was realizing like, not right away, like literally after thousands of times, probably, (laughs) but realizing, like you said earlier, that eating in a certain way over consuming certain foods, it actually is not fun. It does not make you feel good. It makes you feel like shit. It does. And at a certain point, I mean, for me, I just got tired of feeling that way. And I, you know, I feel like that sort of has to happen for everybody. But yeah, it's kind of a balance of not having foods off limits, which is problematic because like you said, and this was my experience much earlier on when I was doing like you, a lot of like restrictive kind of popular diets. When you're so obsessed with not eating the food, it like builds in your head. And then when you inevitably have a slip up, that's when people fall right into the, well, I might as well eat all of this stuff and start again on Monday because I already blew it. Exactly. Um, so you know, you don't want to be there, but you also don't want to be eating like s- to such degree of abandon that you are not feeling good, um, especially the people exactly. that, I, that I work with. And I know you do too. Like you guys have big dreams. You have a lot of things going on and like eating well is such a big part of how you feel on a daily basis. So you have to find that balance of, you know, nothing is off limits, but also recognizing that if I am eating 
with abandon i'll just say it that way again like mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good for me too so so finding that balance takes some time so that's what i want to ask you next is like what would you say because i've had this experience with clients that i'm introducing to some of these concepts maybe with different goals and they have a lot of fear about reintroducing some of these foods because they think if i have a little bit there's nothing that's going to stop me. I'm just going to keep eating it. I'm going to eat all the things. I can't have it in the house. So if you have someone that's maybe in like the early stages of this, like how would you approach that? It is a very scary thing and a very, so I really want to validate the fear because like when you're coming from obsession and overconsumption and your only experience has ever been, I go overboard, you have no evidence that you can't. So I think just like acknowledging or like you have no evidence that you can control the food. I, I don't think that it's about controlling envi- an environment. I think it's about controlling like you feeling in control and you feeling autonomous. It's a process. So it isn't something that happens overnight for sure. But I want you first step is to think about what you said a little bit a few minutes ago, which is that it is not fun to overconsume. Like I had a client a couple months ago tell me that like she would always go, she has her own company. She would do a creative retreat uh, just by herself at a hotel uh, to get away from her kids and to work. And she would always fantasize about like on the first night, she would get all the food she wanted. She would order all the room service and then get all the snacks and all the treats and all these things. And then she would actually let herself eat it all and then realizing like oh this wasn't that fun this didn't do what i thought it would it actually made me feel like shit so i i think like a more a, another side of the food marketing is to just like have whatever like eat as much as you want like the, the body positive people have taken the intuitive eating and been like you can have five donuts you can eat you know this whole plate of cake or whatever it is and of course you could But sometimes we need to have the tangible experience in our bodies, what that actually feels like and really create and really accept that it's not that fun. Because even still, our brains will be like, but you should still eat it all. That's my, I still go through it. That's my fantasy of like, I want all of that. And I have to constantly, like, not constantly, but in those moments where it happens, I have to remind myself, it's not that fun. It's, it's going to be uncomfortable either way. So really getting comfortable in the discomfort because it's uncomfortable to not be mindful and then feel like shit. It's also uncomfortable to choose to be mindful, but then you can actually feel proud and good about yourself later. So that's kind of like the preamble to it. What I think you can do is really begin to think to yourself, like, what are the foods that I am actually avoiding? And then practicing eating those. I really love macros as a framework because you can track the food. Like you can actually see this food has a value. It takes up a certain amount of real estate in my stomach. It takes up a certain amount of nutritional real estate. So let's say I want the cupcake that I just had, right? It was a mini cupcake. It was probably, I don't know, 200 calories. I just factor that in my day, right? I just count for it. I track it and I make sure that like 20% of my calories in a day are given to stuff like that to the high, like that would be the upper limit. I'm not like super strict about it. Um, So tracking would be a good thing. And then the next thing is to actually pay attention as you're eating it. And like, serve yourself on a plate, 
eat slowly. Usually when we eat these foods, we're not paying attention. Like we're not actually there. We take a bite and we're thinking of the next bite as we're eating. So we're never actually present, which means that we finish stuff and then we're like, but where to go? And also I need more now. Also, if we're doing it to fill an emotional need, that's a whole other thing, right? So I would say like learn to be present, learn to actually taste your food, eat very slowly and be there as you're doing it. You might find that after a couple of bites that you lose interest. And there is something called the law of diminishing returns where like the first bite is going to be the most delicious and every subsequent bite thereafter is going to be a little less tasty. Even though sometimes we eat or I would do this before and like keep eating to like hope that it would still taste as delicious as the first bite. So knowing that like the first few bites are going to be the most delicious, I am paying so much attention. Like I am there, I'm present. The last thing I would say is to not expect your brain to not like delicious things and to want to stop eating delicious things. So learning to hold the two feelings of I have had enough for my body and I want to eat more. It doesn't matter how much you educate yourself with nutrition, how much you practice, how savvy you are with this stuff. You're still an animal. You're still a human with a brain that likes deliciousness. I think some of us, me included, like some people don't really, their brains don't really light up, light up that much with food. Mine does. And a lot of people's do. So like, if you feel like Christmas lights, I even say sometimes if you feel like semi horny around <laughs> foods, like that's how you know that like you really like it. So like learning to have your portion and then want to eat more, but choose not to eat more. Your desire to eat more of it probably isn't going to go away. I share donuts that I eat on Instagram and I want to eat five donuts, but like, I will stop at one or a half because that's what that's the limit for my body. So there's a lot wrapped up in this. It takes practice. But I think the more that you expose yourself to certain things, the less allure they have, the less sensationalism there is around it. I think it's important to cultivate a sense of unconditional permission to eat and full allowance. Because then you're like, okay, if it's on the table and I have permission, we end up losing interest. So Restriction creates shackles. It creates a mental state in which you are fearful and you can't trust yourself. And there's nothing better than feeling like, and again, it takes time and it takes practice and I think you have to commit yourself for a little bit and you will slip up. But again, use that as evidence of like, how does this actually make me feel? So I think that it's a process of like telling, ruthlessly telling yourself the truth and being like, this actually doesn't help me. It actually doesn't do anything for my emotions. Um, doesn't change my problems. I have to learn how to like be comfortable with the feeling of discomfort and also not coddling myself. That's a whole other thing, right? Like treating yourself as if you are an adult and as if, because think of kids, like you're not giving your kids as much sugar that they want. I'm not a parent. So like, you know, don't take that. that is, maybe you are <laughs> giving them that, but like you give kids boundaries, you give kids limits. Same thing with ourselves. Like sometimes the kindest thing that we can do is say no and to tell ourselves the truth. And I think all of that together <laughs> is something that can create the feeling of freedom because now several years into this, like it's been 11 years now that I haven't struggled with food. It's because I allow everything and nothing is sensationalized to me. Like I could literally go get anything 
right now, Tuesday at, you know, 1 p.m. Um, <laughs> that I want. It's not off limits, but I don't want to because it's allowed. So this is a mind game, but it takes a lot of practice. And I know that there is hope for everyone, no matter the state that you're in right now. Commit yourself to this process and it will get better. Yeah, I love all of that. It's such great advice. Uh, I mean, the last thing you said, I was, you know, I can resonate with that. Like it's, I was in a really bad place for a while and I was like, I'm never going to get out of this. And and I yes. have, so I'm not like a, you know, I know survivorship bias is like a thing where, you know, people that are succeeding, you hear what they are doing, but you haven't heard what's worked for other people, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of stories of people working through and using the exact systems that Ashley's talking about. I, I especially like what you said about expecting to always like the foods. This was something that I struggled with too, because you know, I'd have a really bad whatever day, week, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start over. And like, I just expected that I would never have any cravings, which was like kind of stupid in retrospect, because um, nothing had changed in my life, right? And I'm still sort of like in it. So yes. then what would happen is like, I'd have a few days where I felt really good. And then like, I'd have a bad day and I'd have a bunch of cravings and I would just collapse immediately because I was like, well, I can't handle this. And it was not easy. But what I had to do is like learn to handle those, those feelings, those thoughts and not necessarily responding to them right away and then there's also the piece of allowing things because as i mentioned like with me and with a lot of people you put foods off limits so then when you do have something that's off limits you think okay now the floodgates are open and like that is i think for a lot of people that is more problematic like one of the most problematic behaviors because then you go way overboard you really feel shitty you consume a ton of extra calories which if you're doing that a lot leads to weight gain and just saying like if i really want a chocolate bar i really want an ice cream i'm just gonna have it and eat it mindfully like you said and you know try to stop when i'm satisfied more or less like that's not a big deal but having an ice cream and then going on a whole binge like that can become a big deal so it's all about like finding that middle and like having yes. some nuance and then yeah expecting that it's not necessarily going to be easy these thoughts and feelings aren't going to go away we just have to learn to respond to them in a different way. I love that. Yeah. And really build capacity, like build more capacity for discomfort, for bigger yes. feelings, to know that like you can actually handle a lot of feelings. Like I used to think like, oh my God, I can't handle an ounce of sadness. I can't handle an ounce of like feeling uncomfortable. The more you expose yourself to the things that you're scared of, you widen what's called your window of tolerance and you can really widen it. And I talk about the concept of tiny intolerable where like, just take an, a step out. Don't try to go like all the way out to like all the discomfort in the world. But the more you widen the window, the more capacity you realize you have and the easier things become. So you can handle cravings or you can just eat the thing, you know, but like you can withstand waves. And that creates a sense of confidence and feeling self-trusting and in control that is the feeling i'm always looking for that's a perfect transition to what i wanted to talk to you about next so uh, as i mentioned at the beginning i know that one of the messages that you've been sharing especially in the last like year or so is kind of contrary to a lot of the advice for sensitive people so mm -hmm. a lot of the messaging is like take it easy rest like you said listen to your body like don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I would love for you to share like why you don't necessarily agree with that and what you think is actually better advice. And I guess actually before that, maybe if you could just define what it means to be a sensitive person also. <laughs> I love that. And I, I think being sensitive means that you 
have more intense experiences in general in life than a normal person not that we're not normal you know quote what I mean? unquote but normal like, <laughs> quote unquote normal but I'd say that like your feelings are more intense you your body is more responsive to things in the sense of like if you hear loud noises if you uh you know are being able to not handle like external stimuli as much along with like feeling the depths of your emotions like feeling and, and which I think goes along with creativity like you're able to access different parts of yourself and you can be emotionally sensitive and I think that the story around sensitive people is that we are fragile and sensitive does not mean fragile and I think that that's kind of the overarching message of mine is that the advice is leans towards fragility like to protect yourself and to like just stay in this bubble like never go outside like you know protect yourself from people's emotions and people's vibes and I used to think that too I'm like okay I'm just gonna have to like not go outside and like not have a conflict with anybody not have anybody hurt my feelings like it, that's not life right so like I think that I got into that mind space of that I am fragile therefore I need to protect myself and part of that protection is okay, I can't push myself too much. I have to be gentle with myself. If I feel tired, I have to keep resting. Uh, I shouldn't push myself in any means. Like I shouldn't push myself at work. I shouldn't push myself in the gym. I shouldn't feel uncomfortable emotions. But what that does is just dig you deeper into a hole that's going to make you feel like shit, right? So I understand the essence of that message because it's kind. It's kind, supposedly kind, but what I found is that sensitive people need to build the capacity, need to build the resilience and need to let go of that story of fragility. So that happens by being cultivating discipline and realizing that like as a sensitive person, going back to kind of what we were talking about emotional eating, exposing yourself to different stimulus that or different stimuli that um lets you know like oh i can handle this and i'm building capacity and this actually allows me to access i feel clearer now you know i'm able to access more parts of my creativity i'm able to have more energy i'm able to feel better uh th th that's always the proof right like if you are being gentle with yourself and you actually feel good and you're living the life that you want more power to you it's truly amazing right if you if it makes you feel like crap which it does for me like i can't tell myself to rest every day like there's things i have to do every day to be who i want to be and there's this quote from zig ziglar which i mentioned from time to time which is hard easy choices hard life hard choices easy life right it's not going to be an easy life but it's more manageable and the more you again expose yourself to things that you're scared of or to things that you didn't think that you could do, you start to build the anti-fragility, which is strength, which is capacity, which is the ability to feel like I can tolerate this discomfort. I can handle this. I don't have to expect myself to, um, I don't have to like um, cower in the presence of these things. And what ends up happening is that like, you begin to live your life in that way and you start exposing yourself to different things and being like, oh, I didn't die. Like sometimes your nervous system has to be like, death did not happen. <laughs> Emotional eating sometimes, like if you can't get the food in that moment, it feels like death. Oh yeah, It feels like you will die, you know? So I get that, but I think you need to show your nervous system that it's okay to go to these levels, that you will survive and you will be better 
as a result. So I always want people to like take that through their own filter and be able to discern what is it that I actually need. For me, it works to make hard choices, but then approach myself with kindness and compassion. If I don't, if I'm, you know, if I like can't do it on that day, or if I don't have as much capacity that day, this isn't like, you know, go hard 24 seven. This is about honoring the capacity that you have that day and just pushing to an edge because again, it creates that sense of confidence of strength. And I think as sensitive people, we need that. We need to kind of build a little bit of grit because if not, we'll be steamrolled and, you know, the world will take us over. Like we'll, we'll drown. Yeah. I love all of that. It's, I love that you said like being sensitive doesn't mean being fragile. So it means that you, like you said, you have heightened perception. Perhaps you might have access to greater ranges of emotion, but it doesn't mean that you can't do hard things. You can't handle challenges. And sometimes I think we end up there because we're sensitive and the world is a little hard sometimes on sensitive people. So because of past mm -hmm. experiences, we're just trying to play small or trying to, like you said, stay in the bubble. But humans, for better or for worse, are wired to do better when we're pursuing a goal or when we're challenged like that is like an evolutionary drive and that's not unique to people who aren't sensitive like that's also true for sensitive people so finding a way to like you said do that in small steps in tolerable steps and expanding your capacity and seeing what you're capable of just opens so many doors for you and it just i think it makes life more meaningful and more enjoyable because when you sit at home and you don't interact with people and you don't do hard things like it feels good maybe in the moment but like anyone who's done that for a long time knows that like we said with overeating like that doesn't feel good no. like you, you feel disconnected you don't have energy like you might feel really depressed about the world and like you don't have a purpose and so you know if you're in that place like the only way out of it is to gradually get out of the bubble so i yes. think that it's it's just a really like there's not really a way around it if you want to have a life that that feels good and feels meaningful now like you said it doesn't have to be like all out right away because that only sort of reinforces like i have to stay inside i have to stay small but finding ways to gradually expand is such a empowering and like encouraging experience so yes. um i know i want to ask you a little bit about fitness because i know that fitness is one way that you have done this yourself mm -hmm. in your own journey and like practice being disciplined and practice pushing yourself so maybe speak to like how that has developed for you and like how you've used fitness as a vehicle to like build discipline and push yourself it has been essential especially in the last several years and i think that especially if you are a sensitive person i think that i had this narrative around like i'm not strong i'll never be strong i'll never be able to do that like objectively i'm not athletic like i can't do stuff with balls like with sports <laughs> me balls. neither <laughs> you know like i'm not coordinated so like i'm not a sporty person right i'm not uh, sports are not for me but and that's objectively true it's <laughs> but i think that we can and i think many of us have that experience but i think that learning to be strong and building internal strength can be one of the most tangible and you know as humans we need tangibility we need like this is why like i like working with weight loss alongside the mental and psychological aspects of food because those aren't as tangible you can't really measure that it's usually only in retrospect that you can see like oh i'm not the same anymore or i'm having a new experience now weight loss is really tangible so that'll keep you going like 
humans need buy-in to keep going. They need to know that they did it, that they checked the box, that, you know, that their brain had a little bit of a reward. Like we use dopamine and we should use it to our advantage, right? But building strength can be one of those tangible ways for you to feel different. Like, oh, if I expose myself to lifting this weight, it's heavy for me today, but in time it won't be so heavy and I can do more. Uh, I'm a big fan of body weight movement. So like learning how to do push-ups and literally having a horrible, super wormy push-up years ago to now feeling like my push-ups are good has been a a huge journey, but it happened by like little exposing myself to little tiny things. So I think if you can use your own body to lift more weight, to do more movements, you can see like, oh my God, I can expose myself to this stimuli that is stressful, but it makes you feel physically empowered. So like I started lifting weights like in CrossFit and that was basically kill yourself type of thing. Like I'm going (laughs) to die. And in time, I think what was most essential for me was meeting people and having mentors, coaches who were able to walk me through like teaching people, like teachers, you know, like as a fitness coach, as a strength coach, like it's advantageous to have somebody who you might get injured. Like you don't know how to do those movements yet. And that's okay. Like it's better if somebody teaches you, but I've had a handful of people along my journey that have literally been by my side and have taught me and have pushed me and have been like, you can do more, do it, expose yourself, let's go. I didn't want to do it. Like, even like I posted about this on my Instagram last week about my two best friends that have been essential. Like literally my two best friends in life are the two people that have pushed me the most with my strength. And I just had, you know, I was just with one of them this morning, but I shared that on Instagram. And one of them was like, oh gosh, the the classic eye roll. And then the other (laughs) one, in terms of like what I did, and the other one was like, oh my gosh, you have the most pissed off face and then you send the whole time, but then you send a thank you text after you have your breakfast and you're happy that it happened. You know, so I think like having people that can push you because you're not going to do it by yourself. Like you don't know how to access to like to do a pull up and to do and to like summon the amount of energy that it takes. Like, you know, like you got to really like go to your capacity. You got to push to a level that you don't know that you have yet. And you're not going to do that by yourself. Like you're going to, it's going to be scary. It's going to be too much. So I think in the beginning, somebody can show you how to do that. Now I'm better able to know that it's safe to do that in my body. And now I, I actually am studying to become a personal trainer. I'm really excited about that. So I can share that with my own people too. But I think that it's just like such a beautiful and incredible avenue like what better pursuit is there than to see what your own body can do and like longevity and aging and all of these things i just i think that everybody has it in them you know given that you don't have like an autoimmune disorder or you're not you know you don't have like a a limited capability in some way in which case like do what you can and uh, honor yourself but i think that it's just like a For me, it's been completely life-changing. And it's also like I've proved myself wrong in the narrative that I used to have, that you're not strong, you can't do these things, you are somebody who like can't handle it. I saw that I could and I can and I will continue to keep going forever. It's cool to see Ashley doing pull-ups and like awesome awesome looking push-ups and studying for her PT test. Yes, yes. I mean, I agree. Like when I first started working out, 
my past experience, I had done a lot of sports, but I was like really bad at them. My parents made me do them. I hated it. I didn't feel like I fit in with the kids. And I had all these stories that I told myself about how like I'm just not an exercise person. And then when I got to a point with my health that I didn't really have a choice, I just started showing up. And honestly, like some things take a long time at the gym, but really like you can start to see gains and progress pretty quickly, especially yes. if you're new. Yes. And it's so motivating. Like you said, it's like a tangible thing that you see. Last week I lifted this weight and this week I'm lifting this weight. I remember when I got my first chin up, like I had been doing band assisted chin ups and I was, I remember exactly, I can like picture it. I was at the gym and there was like a squat rack in the corner and I was doing squats and I, there was like a chin up bar and I was just messing around and I was like, I'm just going to hop up and see if I can do one. And I did one and I was like looking around the gym to see if like anybody saw it, but I, I've just yeah. felt like so proud of myself. And exactly, if you're a sensitive person or someone who feels like you have to play small, like literally moving heavy weight, if you're able to build muscle, you take up more space. It's like a physical embodiment of the changes that you're trying to do internally and it can be fun like even if you're someone like me or Ashley who you know didn't I'm not saying that everyone's gonna fall in love with exercise I don't necessarily think that's true but I do think no. that if you continue showing up if you allow yourself to explore different types of movement if you're challenged in like a safe and fun way it just becomes a lot easier to show up and the stories that you tell yourself your actual identity starts to change and i think that that i agree with you i think that's why it's um, so so powerful yes and also mentally too like mm -hmm. i have had a lot of mental health struggles over my life and one of my biggest and it is something that i will have to give effort towards forever i i don't think that they're granted if somebody needs to take medication like please like take it and do what you need to do. But I don't think, I think there are a few things that are better for your own mental health than sweating, than exercising, than getting out of your head that it's an act of, you know, self, um, like nothing makes you calmer than, than doing, than exerting energy. I think also sensitive people have a lot of energy, like there's a lot of buildup and that's when it can manifest in emotional eating or these habits that aren't good, like the energy has to go somewhere. And I think like releasing that energy, expending that energy, there's no thinking involved there, right? Like sometimes you can wake up and be in a shitty mood and try to think like, this is what I used to do is like, just like lay in bed and try to like logic myself out of it and be on Instagram. And then the flip side is like getting out of bed, sweating and being like, what was I even worried about? I feel amazing now. So I think it's just a, a great tool, mental health, empowerment, all these things. Like, I think everybody also has to find what works for them. And for I think sure. that as you do more, you can do more. So like now that I've been training for a while, I train consistently. I walk a ton. I do some cardio, like, and I want to do more, you know, so you will build and, and things will change fast, like you said. Definitely. I mean, I'm a very active person now and I like it, but like, again, 12 years ago, I was incredibly out of shape. And so 12 years is a long time, but you can really totally transform your ability to do these things. Another thing that you said that I liked, like when I was in therapy, my therapist was always talking about like changing your physical state. So like when you have a lot of this pent up energy, like emotions are energy is what she would say. And like mm -hmm. one way to work through a difficult emotion, for example, if you have a craving, like you can do other things like cold water or, uh, you know, other techniques. But like she would say, like, go for a jog or go for a bike ride, like 
And I've had this experience where I've started a workout and I almost have this visual, like I was in a bad mood at the beginning. I almost feel like I passed through a tunnel. Like if I work out long enough, I like come mm. out the other side and I just feel better. Like the I problem yes. hasn't necessarily gone away, but I feel some sort of like visceral change in my mood and in my energy. And that doesn't happen every workout, but it can be a really powerful tool. So yeah, I love that you said that too. Yes. Yeah. And I think state changes are awesome in general. Like knowing that you have the the power to create a state change and there's so many tools like cold water or, you know, um, bouncing in place, doing something physical, going on a walk, you have options for things that, you know, that you can do. Absolutely. So uh, we're kind of coming to the end here. So I'm, I would love for you to share more about Intuitive Macros, your, your group program, because I know you're getting ready to launch the next one. And as hopefully people can tell, I think it's kind of a unique offering in the nutrition space. A lot of people are either like all macros or all intuitive eating or all some other diet. And I feel like Ashley's system really has the best of everything and gives you like a lot of the tools that you need for lasting success. So feel free to share a little bit more about that and where people can find that. Well, thank you. Um, intuitive macros, like I said, is my framework. It's it's the framework that I use with every single one-on-one -on -one client, but I do offer a group option and people can get amazing results with the group program too. And there are different, like there's uh, the one of the most important things that we do is, and impactful things that we do is implementing some sort of self-monitoring. So like either writing your food down, following a plate method, tracking your food, doing something that's going to add awareness and um, awareness and ownership towards what you are eating and actually looking and being honest, right? Even if like it was a bingy day or whatever it was, like write it down, honor it, acknowledge it. So that's what we do. And there's a variety of avenues that you can go down, but I kind of help you select which one would be the best. I am a big fan of just if you are tracking to just track protein and calories because you don't have to worry about three numbers. You can be a lot more like three macros, like protein, carbs, fat. You can be a lot more flexible. And then we also, what I think is equally as important is we go over the emotional side of things. So we talk a ton about emotional eating, talk a ton about state changes and pattern interruptions. Um, we talk a ton about sustainability, what that means and the principles of nutrition. So like many people come to me and I'm sure you as well, incredibly confused. Like, should I fast? Should I eat after 6 PM? Should I, can I eat a carb? Like, is it bad to eat protein for my kidneys? Like all of these things. And I teach you the very basic, very simple rules of, or let's say guidelines, principles of nutrition that will actually create your changes. Like you don't have to worry about fasting. None of these things, it's like such a small rock. Like they literally don't matter. We all, I think sometimes too, like in what intuitive macros focuses on is like, it's easier to overcomplicate because if you overcomplicate, you can blame the overcomplication on you not succeeding. If it's simple, and you don't do it, then you have to look at yourself and be like, but why didn't I do it? Why? And I also think like you have to be ready to start like to a certain extent, like you don't have to be 100% ready. You'll never feel that way. But you have to have the bandwidth in life to be able to do something like this and dedicate time. Um, so I think that keeping it simple is harder because it's very confronting. Like, oh, if there's only three things that I have to do and I don't do them. That's on me. And if you do something really complicated, it's like, oh, the plan was complicated. It wasn't me. So intuitive macros, like the values around it is ownership 
and honesty and really taking full responsibility for your actions around food to look at them, right? Like I'm a big fan of in life in general, telling yourself the truth and looking at your life and being like, if I don't have money, like I don't want to look at my bank account, but I have to look in order to change it, right? If something else is happening in your personal life where like you don't want to tell yourself the truth about the situation, like you'll avoiding avoiding is very hard, right? Like it's it and it's natural and normal. So like I think that's the first thing I say when the program starts is we're gonna have to be honest. And like a lot of people are like, I got mad at you when you said <laughs> that. And that's okay. Like I will take that because it's truly what creates the change and kind of what we were talking about before, which is like taking ownership of who you are, how you operate, what you need to do to then create the sustainability. So like we talk about nutrition for strength, like literally whatever your goal is, I teach you how to do it. I teach you how to reverse diet, how whatever. So you learn to periodize your nutrition for different phases of life. And most importantly, like I said, I teach you the skills of self-regulation, emotional regulation so that you can withstand plateaus. So you don't have to think like, oh, I didn't lose weight this week. I have to like go do something crazy now. No, you'll have to withstand that discomfort that week of not, of fluctuating, of seeing your weight go up when you didn't want it to, or even when you did things perfectly, of having something terrible happen in your life and which is going to happen that, and, and not using food to cover that up. So like this, I think is what is the most permanent solution. And in the next couple months, I'm going to be creating, I'm really excited for this, like um, a certification for coaches to go through it, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's going to be a lot of work to do that, but I'm excited. So I really believe in it. And um, I, I think that there's so many avenues that you can take with nutrition, but it's important to find the one that is resonant for you, that honors all of you and who you are. And I think that the people that come into the program feel that like oh somebody sees me somebody knows that my weight has been a struggle that my emotions are hard to regulate and it's definitely a process but I think that sometimes we can think like oh I've been cursed with a food struggle like why do I have to go through this if I like food so much and I used to feel that way I used to be really resentful but I think if you choose to take it and use it as an avenue the rest of your life will change too that's when I started my business that's when I like did a lot of uncomfortable life things and made a lot of like uncomfortable decisions that led me to where I am today. So I think it can be beautiful and awesome if you're open to it. And it is a journey of discomfort, but that's okay. Right. That is, I think what for many of us helps us feel better and be who we, who we are and who we need to be in the world. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Ashley. This was really fun. I always love talking to you and hopefully the Listeners got as much out of this as I did. Uh, if you could just share where people can find you, um, where you want them to go, and maybe also if you want them to get on the wait list or whatever for Intuitive Macros, you could share dates for that as well. Thank you again. Uh, this was fun. Always great talking to you. It's like we talked for so long all the time, <laughs> and now we don't talk as much anymore. But um you know, so always happy to see you. But I, the easiest place to find me is on Instagram at Ashley K. Pardo. Do not look at my website. <laughs> ashleypardo.com. You're probably going to go look at it now. It's not, I have to update it. Um, but in the next round of intuitive macros starts on May 30th. You can save a hundred dollars if you join the wait list and you can join the wait list by going to the link in my bio on Instagram. Awesome. When does enrollment open to the public for that? Um, May for the public 
Um, May 22nd. But the week before yes. for the waitlist. Okay. Yes. So it'll be open from the 15th to the 21st to the waitlist. You can save a hundred bucks, $4.97. And then on from the 22nd to the 29th, it will go up to $5.97. And we're also doing a fitness plan. This oh, yeah. Because Ashley will be... Uh... The personal well, I'll training. be on the way. On the yes. way, yeah. It's okay. I'll be when on I the way. when I first my first training job, uh, like the first six months, I was like getting certified, and I um just trained people under the table at my college for like twenty five dollars an hour, some like absurdly cheap price. But I was like, yes. I'm getting certified, guys, and they yes. all trusted me, so it's totally fine. Exactly. I get it. <laughs> and people have asked me to create workout programs for them for years, yeah, and I'm see? like, my biggest fear is injuring somebody. I have like a weird fear around like I don't want to injure. I don't want anyone that's, to get injured. I think that's really normal for a new coach, but y'all you'll yes. um you know you already have a lot of knowledge and you'll have even more and you'll you'll be good i can't wait yes. for you <laughs> yeah i'm excited even though like you know like how little i know about strength or like how little i knew no, i don't i don't think i would say that but i understand on. where you're coming from <laughs> um, there's so much to know there's there yeah i mean so it's a much like anything you know any career any passion like it's like a lifetime of learning and that's yes. part of the fun so exactly and i think too this is a business lesson that like give your people what they want. So like mm -hmm. for a long time, I was like, I only want to do nutrition. That's my experts, truly my expertise. It's what I love and what I'm passionate about. But I my people wanted the strength from me. You know, they're like, but I want you to create the plan. And I also know that like, they will get better results if they lift. And if I am in control of what they are doing, right, to a certain degree, obviously autonomy matters. Sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, business lesson there yes. for people and i will go ahead and uh pop ashley's info in the show notes as well in case you're wondering about spelling even though it's actually very easy to spell but you'll have that if you are listening and if you're um, looking at the post on instagram as well well thank you again ashley and thank you everybody listening i will see you on the next episode my pleasure bye everybody Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Building Stronger Creatives. If something you heard resonated with you, I would love for you to share this episode with someone else who might enjoy it. I also always appreciate comments, ratings, and reviews. These things help me get the word out to other creatives who could benefit from this type of information. See you back on the next episode. Until then, stay curious, stay passionate, and stay strong.